The doc is in, and there's no need to stay in the waiting room for this episode of Health 411. Join Dr. Jonathan Karp as we discuss topics from health insurance to personal diet and exercise to up-to-date conversations in the healthcare industry and more. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Ripovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Once to add new skills to your resume, take a continuing studies course at Rider University. Now, let's see what the diagnosis is for this week's episode of Health 411. 107.7 The Bronx, 107.7 thebronccom proudly nominated for a National Association of Broadcasters 2019 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are recording from the remote Bronx studios at Rider University, and this is Health 411, and I'm Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by the Rebovis Institute for New Jersey Politics and the Rider University Health Studies Institute. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting our health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the politics of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand your knowledge and perspective. Today, we are recording with our producer, Isaac Harris, and our guest, Amber Wood. Amber is a firefighter paramedic, and we are going to talk a little bit about her background, um, her career path, and what firefighter paramedics do. Welcome to the program, Amber. Thank you for having me. It is an honor to be a guest here with my former athlete, but all-time adopted son, Isaac, producing it. <laughs> very, very cool. And this is a college radio station, and we're going to, and you, I would work in how you know Isaac, because I know you've known him for a, a very, very long time, and um, and uh, uh, long enough that he was able to convince you to come do this, so we're, we're impressed. He didn't and, have to convince me at all. <laughs> that was my pleasure, really. Can you tell us a little bit, so for any students who might be listening, um, you are a firefighter paramedic, and can you tell us a little bit about your career journey, about how one learns about this career and how one might point their direction if they wanted to do this themselves? Sure. Um, so the way I came about being a firefighter paramedic was not the typical way. Um, I went to college. I have a bachelor's in biology. And um, then I married shortly thereafter. Um, and my husband decided that he wanted to all of a sudden change because he is also we went to the same college that's how we met and he also had like a career change and um, joined the navy and joining the navy you bounce around from various locations and I wanted something that would help with me transitioning to other areas and I would feel like I'm doing something worthwhile and so I became an EMT basic in Kentucky um, where he's from okay. and moved every time with the EMT basic start point. And in, so what, what is an EMT basic for people who are listening? So an EMT basic is somebody who's trained to basically keep you alive. Their knowledge base is, uh, it can be vast, but their their job description is, is very small. They can do the basic first aid, 
They can do basic life-saving and using a BVM to keep you breathing and CPR with that. And they know uh, they can help assist you with uh, several drugs that you have in administering such as albuterol. And if you have nitro and if you have epi. So that's your basic first responder. The levels continue to go up and depending on the locality, it might define that there. You started at the entry at the entry level EMT basic after you had a bachelor's degree. Yeah, I know, okay. not your typical way, but it's easier to um, earn reciprocity having had that into other states than it necessarily is trying to do the big job search as a Navy wife. Okay, and so you were thinking at the time, I want a, a, at least an entry-level career path that I can do wherever I'm transferred to. With my yes, okay. yes. Cool, excellent. And because of that, I mean, I've always loved how the body works, um, taking care of the body. It comes naturally to me. I didn't have to struggle. Um, with, you know, trying to learn something that was completely out of my wheelhouse. It's in my wheelhouse and I love it. Um, now, and as you said, you mentioned you were a biology major in college. And, yeah. you know, I am a biology professor too. So I talked to a lot of bio majors. Did you, were, did you consider a healthcare career? I do. My main, my minor is in athletic training. So I did just getting the path. Initially, it was to be a, phys, a physician, a physical therapist. Okay. And at the time, I wanted to be a physical therapist assistant. And in the middle of learning that, the physical therapist assistants went away. And I'm like, well, crap. What am I going to do now? Because I really don't want to be a full-fledged physical therapist. I want to wanted to help people. So I was trying to figure out and initially I was a double major in bio and chemistry but realized I wasn't going to get that last chemistry and I didn't want to stay another another year or another summer and I was to be honest I had reached the point of where I didn't want to be I wanted to be done and out there earning my career and not learning I think that's important for students to hear because it's okay for people just to feel like they're done with school Yes. yes. There, there was a point. I mean, I'm not done learning, but, but I needed a break. Yes, I, 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 I completely get that. Okay, so um, I'm sorry for interrupting. So tell us a little bit more about your educational journey. You're, you're an EMT basic, an entry-level EMT. Now, I'm assuming part of your learning was, was going to school to, to get those credentials. Well, for basic, there's, there's not as much learning as you think. Um, to be a basic um, at the time that I did, I had to commit a couple of nights a week to learning that trade. And several um, colleges, local colleges, probably have these classes available. Maybe the fire department, different uh, entities can have that. And you just commit a couple of nights a week learning this for a given amount of time. I think right now it's uh, two to three months depending on how frequently you go. There's the key is that everybody does it in a different timetable. If you were to just sit down and go every day, eight to five, I think you can wrap it up in a month and a half. Wow, that's, that's very interesting. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. But you, that's and, just and the and basic. That. And it mm-hmm. gave you a lot of flexibility. It did. Um, we started to uh, have a family 
shortly thereafter, and I was able to do a little bit of both. I also supplemented that um, learning with actually having a, a job that was in the local area before we moved. And of course, as Navy people do, we move. Mm -hmm. And so I continued to have that medical training and applied it to any job because a lot of good things about having first aid and CPR with the basic is that you can apply it to other jobs. And so some of my jobs that I was at, I was the medical person on standby if an event happened at work. So I use that in my job as well. Excellent. And so you're setting it up as if there's an EMT basic, there must be an in EMT higher level intermediate or advanced kind of thing. And yes. at some point you decided to pursue that. I did. After jumping around several times, we established ourselves in Virginia Beach. And um, this is after 9-11, after because 9-11 really impacted um, our family. We were living in Washington, D.C. at the time. I was at a conference. I have knowledge, and I wanted to give back. As many people of my generation had that feeling that I don't like that somebody could come and destroy my security foundation. And I, I wanted to contribute in some way. So my version of contribute, because my husband was already working um, the Navy aspect. So to me, he took care of the foreign people while somebody needed to take care of the local people. So that was the spinoff that we had. And I started to pursue once we, um, and at this time, my son was very young. Uh, he was eight by the time that 9-11 hit, because he was born in January of 2000, mm -hmm. he was eight, 19 months. So he was starting to walk and move. And the legacy I wanted for him from his mom was that sometimes you need to step up. And I stepped my game up when we moved to Virginia and decided to join the fire department. And eventually you moved from the EMT intermediate to the next level yes, where you which, are now. Yes, the um, intermediate is the step up from basic. And I knew basic was not where I, so I have to firmly admit that I like to be a know-it-all. And there are plenty of people out there that whenever you as a professor are asking questions, there's those certain people that you can rely on that know the answer or want to take a gander at the answer that they have to see if it's correct. You have those know-it-alls. I was a know-it-all. I like you, to be the one. You were sitting in the front row of the class then. Well, <laughs> second row usually because I, I didn't want it. to be too much of a know-it-all. And so uh, is there additional classwork going from an EMT basic to an intermediate EMT? Yes. Okay, so, and, then, and, um, and then there, and if you have to be an EMT basic for a certain number of years before you're eligible to take the classes to move on a little bit? No, but you do have to be certified as a basic before you can move on, but you don't have a length of time with that because they want to make sure that everybody has the basic understanding, even when you're going in for the full paramedic. Um, so when I took it, the steps were first responder, which is just basically keeping your, your, um, your body alive, no drugs are utilized. Basic, where it's just a little bit more, you can help administer the patient's own medication. You have a little bit more knowledge. That is your basic. 
And then you become what they call as an ALS provider, which means you can additionally have the knowledge to save somebody's life. And it's a little bit more time and different states have different qualities as far as that goes. And we, so. we, we want to hear more about that, Amber. I'm going to have to cut you off because we need to take a break for some underwriting announcements. We'll be Perfect. right back with Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7 TheBronx.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 107.7 The Bronx. 107.7 The Bronx, 107.7 TheBronc.com. You're listening to Health 411, and we are having a conversation with Amber Wood. Amber is a firefighter paramedic. And um, because this is a college radio station, I was asking Amber to tell us a little bit about her background, about how one might become a firefighter paramedic. And she was telling about her um, uh, educational and career progression from an EMT basic to an EMT advanced or intermediate. And she was telling us what they do. And at some point you were an EMT intermediate and you said, you know, you you called yourself a know-it-all and you wanted to keep going. On the career path, and, and I, I was the next step is paramedic, paramedic, or you were for a fire department, so you're a firefighter paramedic. What what's the difference, and what do you have to do for move to move from EMT to firefighter paramedic? So the um, the basic into transitioning into an intermediate is the difference between having the knowledge in somebody telling you what to do and intermediate is, oh, now I have a lot of drugs at my disposal. I could probably save your life. And that's your basic to your advanced life support. Of course, a little bit more. Um, and then becomes a paramedic. The difference between intermediate and paramedic is an intermediate still has to say, doctor, may I save this patient's life on certain medications, um, certain cardiac medications, certain life-saving medications. And a paramedics, I got the knowledge. I know why I'm giving it. I know how to give it. I don't need the doctor's permission for most of my medications. I'm gonna go ahead and give it because I've taken enough schooling to know why and how. Intermediate still in that phase where hmm, this presents like this, but I'm not quite sure all of the tricks and trades that this medication may do. And so I just want to run it by somebody else. Right. In, your like experience, in your working experience, not everybody moves up, you know, from the entry level to more. Some people find a level they're comfortable with and create a career doing that. Is that, is that correct? That is very correct. We do have um, people who've stayed at the intermediate level because they feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Me being a former continual know-it-all did not want to have to ask for permission every time when I already have that knowledge base. And from your basic level um, to your paramedic level, it's two years, approximately two college years, more knowledge that you have to gain 
maybe two and a half, depending on how you structure it um, to get that paramedic knowledge where you're basically released and able to pretty much go out on your own in a, in a department and say, oh, based on the stuff that you're presenting with in your background and your history, and I need to give you some medication. This is why I have the knowledge. Let's go, let's roll. And does it also open up more career opportunities as you move it, up levels? It does because nobody wants to baby anybody. Um, EMTs and paramedics in their own right have to work independently away from the ability of a hospital to give them direction and guidance. Yes, they have protocols, certain standards that they have to work with them, but they're making the decisions in a short amount of time. So if you've ever seen firefighters come or paramedics come to a scene, they have less than 10 minutes to figure out what this person's major issue is, plug it or help give them what they need to get them from point A to point B. They're the transition mode. So it can be a little stressful when it comes to doing something like this. I live in a high stress environment. Somehow I find that I thrive in this. I'd have no problem living in the high stress. There's some people who do really well, some people who do not. I seem you, to. Yeah, you, and you've probably seen people who get in that situation and you know there are people who freeze or second guess themselves and can't make, you know, and then it's, it's, it would be inappropriate for them to be in a position to having to do that if they didn't deal with the high stress um, appropriately. And it sounds like you can't be indecisive either uh, in, the, in that profession, you can't be. No, that doesn't mean you don't make wrong decisions, but hopefully you have the knowledge that if you start to go down a path that may be inappropriate because sometimes some of the protocols are side by side and it's only how the body presents with a drug or two, then you can change it and jump on the right one. And you have to have that knowledge base too. And that's the biggest issue that intermediates and paramedics, the difference between is that the paramedics already took it. So they have that knowledge on how drugs react with the body and so if they administer a drug and something happens and it's not what they think is going to happen, then they're like, oh, hmm, maybe I need to jump on that other one that is very similar in pathways to a point. Do, do, do people have to specialize when they become paramedics? No. So it's, it's, it's a general paramedic. Who, who are the major employers for paramedics? A lot of fire departments our major paramedic promoters. Sometimes you get a hospital that has paramedics that run out and get it. Um, believe it or not, most major corporations have some kind of EMT, especially if they work outside or if they work in situations where they have a large area that covers or they're doing things that potentially has an increased risk of it, they might have one on site during certain times and day, but not in the plethora of a fire department or um, medical side of things. Like New York, their medic and their fire department work hand in hand, but they're two different entities. My department, um, and even around the Virginia Beach area, most of the departments around here have fire department and EMT that are integrated, and we are a married unit. I do. Um, I live in Virginia Beach, and if you know anything of the local area, Virginia Beach and Norfolk are side by side, 
And Virginia Beat has a large volunteer system in the EMT side, and they have paid professionals that do the fire side of things. And so they work in conjunction, but not married together. Whereas Norfolk, we're a little different. Um, both get paid. I do 12 hours on a medic and I do 12 hours on a fire apparatus, whether that's an engine or a, fire, a ladder truck. And I specifically wanted Norfolk because of that and not Virginia Beach where I live because one, I wanted to get paid. Yes. I could volunteer, but I, I really, I was a young mom. I needed money. <laughs> Absolutely. And, that, and right. that's, and for people listening in the New Jersey area, um, that, that actually varies by community. Some communities here have paid firefighters and paid paramedics and EMTs and other ones, it's a completely volunteer firefighter group. It's a volunteer, you know, first responder group. And, um, it can vary by towns. I mean, towns that are right next to each other. And, uh, yeah, it's something it's, it, I don't know if it would influence where one would choose to live, but it is, it might, it, it, might, it might, it's a, it's, it is a real thing. It is. And a lot of rural areas do have a volunteer system that, that supplement, but they, uh, many of them typically have EMTs because that's where the bread and butter of uh, most systems are. The EMTs are the ones that are going to save people's lives now, more so than fire. We, we've talked about, and you introduced the idea that there are EMT basics and EMT intermediates. Yet when people talk generically, like you're talking now, oh, you know, this town has EMTs, which one do they usually have? They usually have EMTs, but that's a, typically e because EMT basics. basics with maybe a couple of people that have the advanced okay. knowledge, okay. you know, if any drugs are being administered, that they're um, in rural areas, Far more people are basics, and small number are advanced. So, if so, just because you're in an area and it, an ambulance shows up with EMTs on it, you might not know if you're the the patient um, if those people are eligible to administer drugs, and you don't know their level of training. You just you don't ask. You know, you just need help. Correct. <laughs> right. Correct. Uh, that's a, and, that's, a, that's well, a very interesting thing. They have the capability of calling people who do have that advanced knowledge. So most systems do have that. And don't let me downplay basics because basics will have a certain amount of knowledge base that they will be able to help you and get you from point A to point B. They will be able to keep you alive. That is, that is, that is a big responsi responsibility in itself. So don't let me seem like I'm sloughing off them. But as long, you're also saying too that the person doesn't have to be on site. If a basic can communicate with somebody by cell phone mm -hmm. or some sort of radio device, they can be Correct. they can become authorized to administer, you know, mm -hmm. an whatever EpiPen or something like that. Yes, oh, exactly true. And we have online medical control that we can call at the hospital um, at any point that we feel like uh, I don't know how to deal with this decapitation right now <laughs> with the internal decapitation with. Internal deca decapitation, it means the head's still on. They're still talking to you in many cases, but the spine itself has a disconnect and they may not be able to feel things below that point. Um, and we certainly and, want to hear more about your experiences in the field now course. that we've, we, we sort of laid it out. But Amber, we're going to take a, another break for sure. some underwriting announcements.
Uh, we'll be right back on Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 107.7 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, recording from the remote Bronx studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp here with Isaac Harris and our guest, firefighter paramedic Amber Wood. Uh, Amber has done a really good job of outlining sort of the educational sequence and different levels of first responders you might get. Um, but in the, and we want to continue that conversation and hear about some of her experiences. But in the break, Isaac, you, you mentioned you had a question you wanted to ask Amber. Yes, I did. I did have a question for you, Miss Amber. And I also want to say thank you for coming on. It's always good to see you again and hear from you. you. Yes. So the big question is that we were talking about how it's different in every area, um, in every area where EMT or fire, fire par paramedic is. So on the stress, and you mentioned some of the stress level that's on there, are you guys working the same, are fire, fire paramedics are working the same type of shifts as firefighters or something similar, like regarding to that stress level, like it's kind of equal ground in that way? Well, that's a complicated question because it also depends on the area. So what I'm going to do is uh, test to my area and my department because I'm most knowledgeable about that, but I do know that the, it's not always the same universally across the board because um, we get lumped in a public service and public service even within my city is a little different. So as a firefighter paramedic for um, Norfolk, Virginia, it is 24 hours a day that I work at one time. Um, and even the different regions around here, not all of them in that lump EMT paramedic side of things work the same hour. Some work just 12, especially if you're an EMT, you only work a lot of times 12 hours at one time. Some may work 24 hours on the medic, but then they're off of the medic for several days because they do the fire side of things. So it just depends on everybody's individual setup. I'm not sure um, the differences that you may have there, but for us, I typically rotate with the other ALS and BLS providers and I'll do 12 hours on a medic and then I'll do 12 hours on a fire truck working my 24 hour day. And it rotates whether I do day or night and then because we tip, we try to have four for each. I will rotate as having two days off of the medic side of things to just be on an apparatus, whether it's a ladder truck or an engine. Because in my firehouse, we have four different vehicles. We have a battalion car, a ladder truck, an engine truck, and a medic. So we rotate between those to fill those positions for 24 hours. And it keeps you from getting bored. Now you mentioned one of the reasons that you chose this profession um, was because you wanted the flexibility for family life and stuff like that. Do you still, yes. talking about the hours that you're laying out there, do you still feel that? I do because 
Um, if you go to a regular 40 hour work week day shift, you are working Monday through Friday from typically eight to five. Mm -hmm. I have a work week and, and it's gonna get a little complicated. It's really best if you have a calendar in front of you, but, but bear with me while I go through this because at the end of it, you will understand why I have it. And most areas have something similar to this where they, they work a lot in one area to have many days off. So in a typical three week cycle, because that's what mine is, it's roughly 58 hours a week or so, 52 to 58, depending on our Kelly's whole different topic but in a normal hectic situation I work Tuesday for 24 hours I have Wednesday off and I work Thursday for 24 hours and I have off on Friday and I work Saturday for 24 hours and I have off Sunday and I work Monday for 24 hours and then I have Tuesday Wednesday Thursday off and then I go and work 24 hours Friday I have Saturday off for 24 hours and then I work Sunday for 24 hours and then I'll have Monday and Tuesday off and then I'll work Wednesday for 24 hours. And then I have five days off in a row. Interesting. Wow. And, and, and so, so it's not the traditional Monday through Friday work week. Um, but you're smiling as you said this, because in terms of family life, you, you know, you, you mentioned your mom, you have kids and, and, and you have a husband. Have they all adapted to your non-predictable standard schedule? They, they have. And my sons know that when I go to work in the morning, I will be home before they go to school the next day. So mm. I'm just not there during the day while well, they're at school anyway. So really, I'm only missing the part of their life from after school until the next morning when they wake up and half the time they're sleeping. So yeah. I'm only missing a couple of hours, really, when it Don't gets- Don't forget doing homework too, right? Homework. Yes, my, my husband and I work in tandem with that. And sometimes we can predict based on what they have coming up um, on the areas that I am best at and the areas he is best at. And we tag team it. And then of course, there are times where I have to do some subjects that I'm not the best in because of their schedule and it, it's a need. Um, my husband works as a mechanic for Priority Chevy here in this area. It's five minutes from the house and he works hard, long hours. He works 40 hours a week. And I feel like I have more involvement in our kids' lives because of that. I keep him informed, but it's easier to do that. I can run them to doctor's appointments and I don't have to take off because I make it around my schedule. Dentist appointments, if they have stuff going on at school. For me, it's perfect scenario. At one point prior to COVID, I was working 13 jobs. Oh my gosh. Wow. That was how many ones I got paid for. Mm -hmm. And three cool. kids so, so, and a husband. So, so somebody who, you know, wants to be in the health field, who, you know, not, you know, for anybody listening, especially college students who want to have a family life want to have a relationship with their kids and their spouse or significant other, um, this kind of field you're, you're, you're saying is a very positive way to go. Yes, you can. I have many uh, friends here. And one of the things that they love is that they get to have and enjoy life and have benefits, learn something, because I know um, the things that I have learned, and I thought I was pretty knowledgeable before, but the life things that you have, you meet family, you get to do a bunch of different stuff. 
Many people in the department, they take trips, they can plan trips. They, um, they just seem to enjoy life better. And it's a good thing because it is a high stress job and you need to have those outlets in order to do this in a long-term basis, which long-term for us is also a benefit. It's 25 years or 26 years, depending on your department. That is when you can retire after 26 years. Many, some people stay longer, but not many jobs you go into, especially right out of, of high school or college where you can work 26 years and know that you're going to be done. For some yeah, people, yeah. that's mid 40s, maybe even early 50s for yeah, me. I, yeah, that is one of the nice things about even the military. You put in 20, 25 years and then you can have a second career. So it could be we, exciting or you, can yes. stay, or you can stay. And also what you're describing too is part of the job that I want to get to also is you're still helping others. Yes. You know, you, you mentioned you had a minor in college and athletic training, and mm -hmm. you do that because you want to help others. And, and in a sense, you transitioned not into athletic training, but you transitioned to an allied health profession that allows you to still do that thing that you were interested in when you were a college student. Yes, we're, we're always loved by the public because we come and help. I mean, I've never had to worry about many things in my job aspect um, are cohorts and crime, the PD, they have to worry. Um, I, and I feel for them because they have to worry for their lives every moment of every day that they're on the job. And even sometimes when they're not. Um, so it, who do I look to when, when something's going down? I'm going to look for my buddies and friends that I've made of, um, on the PD force. And I love being a female firefighter because I'm already squashing most people's perception of a normal firefighter because I'm a girl. I just, it's, it's, we all look the same in our cool turnout <laughs> gear. There's been many times where I've come into people's um, houses just on typical stuff where maybe their smoke detectors going off because they've had a kitchen fire or something else of that nature and they consider me a, a male and then I after the emergency whatever it is is over and we're allowed to take off some of our stuff and they realize oops that's a girl oh, there's, a, there's a woman here so yeah. and, and I, I want to hear more about these things um, in the next segment but just in the life of a, a firefighter paramedic in, in a minute, can you tell us what are the most common things that you are called to deal, deal with? Well, most common is some sort of underlying medical issue or a car accident. In this area, car accident is very prevalent. Um, you even threat of any kind of inclemental weather, whether it be a snowflake or a chance of a snowflake, <laughs> rainstorm, cloudy weather, whatever, somebody's going to get an accident, I can guarantee that there has already been 30 to 40 accidents and we're halfway through the day. And this wow. is just in the region. And in my department, we go to probably about three-fourths of those because we mandate uh, part of the interstate system. Yeah, and it's interesting. And I, I lived in Tennessee for five years. And I can tell you, um, it, it would be flurrying and people be pulling their cars off the side of the road because they were scared to drive. We could talk a whole other thing about some Southern drivers, but we won't do that. But <laughs> you're, you're not. <nodding. laughs> but, 
But we will take a break for some underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7 thebronxcom This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.com edu slash next step we're back with dr jonathan carp only on 1077 the bronc 1077 the bronc 1077 the bronc.com we are recording health 411 from the remote bronc studios and we are having a conversation with amber wood amber wood is a firefighter paramedic in the norfolk virginia beach area and we are hearing a little bit about her educational career path, the kinds of things that EMTs do, the kind of things that firefighter paramedics do. At the end of the last segment, I asked Amber, what are some of the common things, um, the, the typical calls that uh, a paramedic would be called out to do in her, in her area? And she mentioned car accidents, uh, but I'm sure Amber, you have you know, people who say like, what do you do? You have you like, what do you tell people? Uh, well, when you're having the worst day, you got to call somebody. And a lot of it, we're the ones that get calls. Even if you can't figure out who to call, we're the ones that get called. Um, it is amazing that PD also is in that boat with us. So I can't say that all the calls come to us, but typically when you're trying to figure out what the heck's going on or who you should call, we are the ones that field that. And I have to give props to the dispatchers because they tell us where to go. Um, if if so you don't it, call, so, we don't know. So in, in a sense, and this is, this is, I say this tongue in cheek with students sometimes, you know, when you're in some of these, you know, allied health professions or even, the, you know, traditional medical professions, you know, your most exciting things happen when other people are in misery, you yes. know, and, and you have to be very <laughs> aware of that. Yes. You know, um, and so, you know, you, so you're called out to, you know, car accidents or fires mm-hmm. uh, or people, I guess, even in office buildings having medical crises and you don't know what you're walking into. Is that exciting? Depending on the comments, a lot of times it's exciting, but um, it can be scary. I don't typically get scared, so that's not, it's a scary situation, but I'm not one that, I don't think I've ever gone in to a scenario where I've been <gasps> scared. Uh, probably I should have been, but I'm not. I, I'm a little pigheaded when it comes to that, I guess you can say, and I guess it's part of the territory. I have my protocols in place to help me be prepared, um, but I don't think I've gone into a scenario where I've been shocked. Well, let me ask you, when you show up in a place, you're there as a professional, you're there with a job to do. And you mentioned sort of a checklist of professional things that you have to do. People sometimes probably try to chit chat with you, right? Yes. Yes. But is that distracting? Like, what is that? Like, I mean, well, uh, it, it can be distracting because we do get your little ladies and your little women who just want to chit chat with us that everything on them hurt 
and and that's probably the reason why that something majorly is causing but sometimes right. they just want to chit chat we we always have that that we have nursing homes we go to we have um in our area we have uh, assisted living houses well like apartments that mm -hmm. have a call button that is a direct response to us and we'll get a, what we call a medical lifeline alarm where we go to some of these places to help lift a person off of the ground and as long as it's not like every day three and four and five times a day mm -hmm. it's not a habitual thing we have no problem coming out it's good to have somebody you can call out all hours of the day and night and you know they're going to respond right the fall and i can't get up yes you know last night we had a gentleman that was trying to put an ac unit in um into his window it was a window unit and lifting up and he got to the point where he couldn't hold it up anymore he set the ac down but he fell backwards trying to get out of the way he just needed a little assistance we spent um probably about two minutes there we helped him up we helped get the ac it was ground level so we helped get the ac in that basement window units and we were on our merry way but we did a world of good for them and that's the type of good feelings i like to have at the end of the day we we still have stressful situations on the interstate is completely stressful because not many people pay us mine or they're rubbernecking and they cause other accidents and they're trying to video record us so we do have the elements that we have to be cautious at but most of it it is uh an enjoyable experience because of the job itself we're helping people in essence when I started doing something that career path wise that's what I wanted to do I wanted to help people and I didn't want to do just EMS I wanted to do something that would challenge me and that's why the fire side of it just gives me so much because I haven't learned everything that there is to know there's always stuff and it changes from that, my 16 years in the department so far, um, things have always are changing. So just when you think you got a handle on it, they're going to give you something else that's. Become if I'm in an area and the paramedics have been called, should I just sort of leave them alone and just sort of ignore them and let them do their job, or is there information that the people who are there, who are not not the injured people, that it, that can useful, or should I just get out of the way? What would you recommend? So if you have knowledge, then say you have some first aid and you took a pulse or you saw what happened, we definitely love to hear some of that. Now, granted, there are some people that are a little grouchy and they just rather you get out of the way because they'd rather do their own assessments. But there are there are a good number of, of um, medics there that want to get that base information, especially for car accidents. We come to an a scene of an accident, we don't know how it got to this position. We want to get that background information because that's going to determine like a, a mechanism mechanism of injury, what we call it. So um, one of two things happens. You either have a nature of illness, meaning you have a medical reason why this incident occurred, or you have the mechanism of injury. A tree branch fell on you. You fell off a roof. Something has occurred and now you're in this predicament and we have to ascertain how to go about it. And if we understand that, we can proceed better in the care for you and getting you to the hospital. It might be the difference between going lights and sirens to the hospital 
or just taking a nice, easy drive to get you where you need to go. Because that changes our response to the hospital. We always respond, almost always respond lights and sirens to the incident. Sometimes going lights and sirens to the hospital, if we don't need to, creates more of a headache. And if we can go nice and easy down to the hospital in an expeditious manner, but nice and easy, it, it pays better in the end and causes less stress to everybody out. We only want to stress people out when a life or death situ situation with this patient is occurring. We don't, we don't want to have to go down flying and make you get out of our way or ask you to, because we're not making you, we're asking you to get out of our way with the lights and sirens, but we have to do our due diligence. And we're also putting ourselves in more of a dangerous situation going to the hospital lights and sirens. We have no problem doing it when we're heading to a call because somebody's lives could matter, we don't know yet. But going to the hospital, we kind of determine that based on how the person's doing and what it is we're being called out for. So if we can mitigate, if it's a breathing difficulty, we gave them some medication for their, say, asthma. And now the breathing's a lot better, but they still need to have that managed and looked at to make sure it doesn't happen again. Well, then we could take an easy cruise down, down the road as opposed to you're still struggling and we're using um, a bag valve mask to breathe for you, uh, we need to go as quick as possible. And so we just, um, by the lights and sirens or even lights or even sirens, depending on the governing policy, it's our way of asking you to pull over to allow us to save this person's life. Yeah, or so get to an incident. Will, yeah. So hopefully people will get the help that they need. And I think that's important for, you know, those of us who, who might be driving around and, you know, see ambulances mm -hmm. around is that the people inside are making decisions about, you know, if there's a person in there, is this a, like a lights and sirens emergency or can we just get there and not have to speed and not have to scare people on the road? And it's important to make those decisions. Do you it, it have is. any any advice that you would give to somebody who might be thinking about a career as a paramedic? Um, well, yeah, so for my area, as I'm going to pull up information, for us, most people think you have to have some sort of training prior to getting into um, the field. The only thing you have to have is a high school diploma for our area. That, that's, that's it. You don't have to have any specialized training because we will train you um, to a certain level, and then you have on-the-job continuous on the job training. Every year I get recertified in CPR. Um, I get every two years, depending, you know, it's two to three years, but every two years I get recertified paramedic. I get recertified in advanced life care. I get certified in pediatric advanced life care because that's people that they're not just small adults. Pediatrics are a whole nother you know, entity within our department. So, you know, so I continually get it. There's continuing education going on. And let, let, let me ask you this on a, on a practical level, because I talk to a lot of college students and you've been doing this, I think you said for, you know, 16 years now or so. Mm -hmm. Has there ever been a time when you wanted to work, you couldn't find a job? Have you, or have you always been able, you're shaking your head. So every time, whenever you've wanted to work, you've always been able to work. Yes. And Take prime example during COVID when many people shut down and work from home, which is good, but 
yeah, can't really do CPR from home. I can't really tell you how to put a fire out because a garden hose just probably isn't going to do it. You know, uh, the car accidents are not going to remove themselves, although the car accident ratio did go down during COVID. That's, you know, police and firefighters are the one constant thing that we had, as well as the healthcare providers and dispatch doctors. Yeah, so you're we all, are never you're without it. Worked. And we're I think that's important working. for people who are considering this as a career to be aware of, that you're always going to be working. Yes. Um, Amber, I would love to continue this conversation. Uh, maybe we will offline a little bit, but we're going to have to end this program just because we, we're running out of time, unfortunately. Of um, this is 107.7 The Bronx, 107.7thebronc.com, and you're listening to Health 411. I'd like to thank our guest, Amber Wood, a firefighter paramedic. Thank you so much. Amber, Thank for you. sharing your experiences. I'm sure our audience will find it um, interesting and thoughtful. This program, the Health 411 program, is part of Ryder University's efforts to bring people together to address all issues associated with health and healthcare. We hope today's conversation has been given some things to think about what firefighter paramedics might do and what they don't do. If you have questions and or comments about this program, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. That was this week's episode of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp. Tune in every Sunday at 10 a.m. to learn truthful information about your health and the healthcare industry. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Health 411 to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Ripovich Institute for New Jersey Policy. Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University. We'll see you soon, only on 1077 The Bronx.